With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Cricket Daily. It's the fifth test of the Ashes series. It's day two. It's the day-night test in Hobart. I'm Menas. I'm joined by Paul Dennett. Paul, an action-packed day of cricket today. 17 wickets fell. What's your takeaway? I was just doing that maths then. I was going to tell the the the, the story of the day. You've, you've done it half, and I think it's 17 for 287, unless I've got my maths wrong. Oh, another corker of a day's test cricket. These two days have been the highlight of the series for me. I mean... Uh, it's just been so entertaining the whole way through. And, yeah, I, the day just flew by. Um, and I was just, you know, when it finished then, I was, I was desperate for them to get a last over. And apart from anything else, I just wanted six more balls of, of entertainment. Yeah, a wonderful day of cricket. You're right, a cracking day. Australia were bowled out for 303 in their first innings this morning. Then England were bowled out for 188. This afternoon, and then Australia had to face a tricky little session before stumps of about an hour and a half, and were reduced to three for 37 with Warner, Kawaja, and Labashane all back in the pavilion. Boland and Smith not out. Smith is not out 17. Boland is not out three. I guess we should go back to the beginning of the day. There's so much stuff to cover, but sort of went as expected with the rest of the Australian innings. They were quite aggressive before the second new ball which um, never actually came. But, uh, they, you know, Lyon made a nice little 31 off 27, and that got the total up over 300. Alex Carey was dismissed for 24 and probably missed an opportunity. But hey, 303 is a very good score. Yeah, and it was interesting. It's so typical of this series that 
England keep on threatening to kind of compete. And just as they, every moment they look like they're starting to really get into a game, that's when things get get taken away from them. And it happened numerous times today, I thought. The first of which was Nathan Lyon, because they got those quick, those first two wickets of Stark and Cummins quite quickly. And then Lyon, as he does, plays with utter freedom and hit some of the sweetest, um, what, hit three sixes and looked really, really good. And it just wasn't massive, but those extra you know, 30 runs maybe that Australia got above budget from when they were eight down is, again, symptomatic of um, England's travails on this tour, unfortunately, for them. Yeah, and if it is a, a low-scoring game, then those little cameos become quite vital in the in the wash-up, especially if, you know, England are looking like they're going to be chasing a fourth-innings target. So that was Australia all out for 303 in the first session. Best of the bowlers for England, Stuart Broad, three for 59. Mark Wood, three for 115, went at 6.4 and over. Ollie Robinson didn't bowl um, since yesterday, still suffering from back spasms, although they did bowl in the last bit. Works two for 64, but Broad um, was the standout. And then then it was the England's second innings, and it was more of the same from them. Top order woes. This time it was Rory Burns getting run out. Um <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, England just can't take a trick, can they, with their top order at the moment? I was trying to think of something funny to send out about that. Like, oh, at least this time he didn't get bold. You know, he's he's, he's found a way to stop them. And I just thought, oh, it's just too cruel. Like, that run out uh, for all the things that have gone wrong on this tour for them. But Ricky Ponting vehemently made the point on Channel 7, and I knew he was going to make it, and it was absolutely right, that if it had been Labashain in the same instance, he wouldn't have got run out because he would have dived like a raving lunatic and probably would have taken the skin off both arms. But guess what? He would have got back in. And that was that point was made even more stark, starkly, or whatever the adverb is, about 25 minutes later when there was a, a drive that Labashain chased all the way to the boundary as fast as he could. And he began his dive as it was literally hitting the ropes. Like it was absolutely the most pointless dive of all time. But that just shows the level of commitment that he has. And if it had been him, I think it had been any of the Australians, they would have got in. And I don't understand. You work so hard to get back into the side. Why wouldn't you dive? I think he thought it was not going to be a run out, but bizarre, I thought. Yeah, way too casual. And he's now got uh, this, he's got a ton of ducks in the last calendar year. And there was a stat, maybe seven ducks or something. It's, It's a lot. Um, so yeah, Roy Burns having a shocker. Now this is, um, something, and he's the first example, uh, but it happened three times in this innings. Well, uh, Burns edged one to carry off Stark, no appeal, no referral. Then Milan did it on an inside edge. I'm not sure who the bowler was. And then the last dismissal of the innings, um, Chris Wokes caught by Carey down the leg side. Carey said, oh, no, I think it was thigh pad initially. He's, he didn't push for the referral. So, you know, that's three times in the innings where the keeper, who should be in the best position, has missed seeing an edge. I find that very strange. It's funny how the game's changed, doesn't it? You would never have thought that would be part of the, the keeper's skill set even 15 years ago, that you've actually got to be able to um, be very good at that. And, yeah, I... I take your point. Um, they were hard ones for sure, but he's in a pretty good position to see. And yeah, um, that was three that he three that he got wrong. Um, that was a good review by Stark. That one that um, that he got uh, off uh, of Wokes. And again, that was mm. another example of England were 
looking all right there. Works was batting as he does, technically a little bit all over the shop in terms of backing away a bit or not getting completely into line, but he's got a great eye. He bats with freedom and he was batting England into not anywhere near a position of parity. But if they'd got the lead down to 70 or 80, it would have been something. And so, but yeah, Australia nipped it in the bud. Hey, yeah, um, before uh, we go on, one thing I want to say. Start of the day. Oh, yeah, good. Not a stat of the day. Just with regards to, before I forget it, because um, with regards to Robinson not bowling, Shane Warne had this um, notion on the on the sky, on the the Sky Fox coverage saying that what they should do is they should – and he, they, they talked about how um, – I think it was, was it the bowling coach, John Lewis, or someone who uh, had sort of said that in, in no uncertain terms he needs to get fitter. Um, mm. And, again, they then pointed out the bowling coach – is the coach of him at his, um, you know, he comes from the same county as him. Is like, you know, you, you know, you could have done this a little bit earlier. But anyway, Shane Warne was saying they should pull him out of the tour to the West Indies and basically put him in a three-month camp of, of a Rocky style um, where he just gets absolutely belted to hell and becomes as fit as he possibly can. It's an idea that actually has some merit, but it recalls what happened with Warney, um, that famous story of where, He'd been in the test side briefly, uh, had been dropped and um, was just kind of living his life and swanned up to Terry Jenner's place with a pizza and uh, a slab of beer. Slab of beer, yeah. Expecting TJ to say, come on in and, you know, let's get on it. And instead he sort of looked at him and said, listen, you you know, you're a disgrace and blah, 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 and um, we're getting up tomorrow at 6 a.m. and you're going to get fit. Leave the beer, by the way. <laughs> I'm holding that. <laughs> But um, and then that that really made a difference to Shane Warne. So it's a, quite a romantic notion that you know if he does do that, I hope they put a montage together of, of him in the in fat school getting um getting completely fit. I remember when Warney came back from that winter and uh, was looking very very fit. He he, he was uh, one of those players though that you know you never knew what what shape Warney would turn up after the off season. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so I, I think it is strange that Robinson can get to this sort of level and still not be, you know, as athletic as. I mean, look at the Australian fast bowling group; they're all supreme athletes. Um, so England's first innings. I mean, they lose Burns, they lose Milan, Crawley as well. In caught in close, good catch by Head off Cummins, shot off the pad and the inside edge. And it, I don't know if you saw, but Head did this sort of sort of crocodile. Um, Thing. Well, apparently that's because he's nicknamed himself the bin lid when he's in its short leg. So um, I don't know why, but he was doing a bin lid impersonation. Um, wasn't a crocodile. Milan made 25, Joe Root 34 out to a corker from Cummins. Even though if even though it just looked to be clipping the off stump, it was a terrific ball cut back a long way. What would have been perfect to sum up this tour? Because that was only umpire's call by probably about a centimetre and he didn't challenge it. It would have been absolutely perfect to sum up this tour if he'd walked off not challenging and Hawkeye shown it missing. That would have been ah. Uh, yeah, yeah, end. exactly. Would have been apt. It did look plumb. Um, yeah, I might do my good day, bad day now because we were on Warney before, so uh, I'll do my bad day. Um, Shane Warne. So he was talking about Scott Boland, yeah? And he was talking yeah. about how he's got an a bowling average of 8.5 at the beginning. This was before Boland had bowled the ball. And he goes, you know, if, if Boland, you know, takes seven or eight for a hundred in this match, his bowling average is going to come down. He'll be averaging like five. And I was doing the, the maths in my head going, 
I actually don't think that's the way averages work. Now, Paul, you're much better at maths than me, but if we take seven or eight for 100 in the match, I would suggest his average is going to go up from eight. It is, yes. Yes, there's actually a um, there's a, a famous riddle about that where uh, I won't um, I won't bore you with it, but where two fast bowlers who have um, very good averages and then one of them takes better figures than the other and the average... No. Let, suffice it to say, maths is very interesting and this anecdote is not, so I'm going to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so that was my bad day, uh, Warney's maths. Um, good day, Stuart Broad became the leading wicket taker for England in Ashes tests. Went past Ian Botham, has 129 wickets against Australia. So, um, yeah, that's quite an auspicious record. And mm. certainly he's been one of the most impactful players in my lifetime. I mean, you look at 2009, the Oval, he he bowled a decisive spell that helped England secure the Ashes. 2013, 2015, um, you know, he's consistently delivered match-winning performances in the big games. Um so, yeah, incredible stuff from Broad and a great record. Um, that was my good day, bad day. Um, so I thought Sam Billings made a good debut, 29 off 48. Um, looked good out there. Yeah, he looked good out there. Disappointing end to his innings, unfortunately, hooking and um, straight down the throat of fine leg. So, you know, um, he looked really good. He looked energetic. He took a nice catch later on. But ultimately, um, 29, he'll be pretty disappointed with that. Mm, got to start. So Wokes come in next ball um, after Billings, um, no, after Pope gets out and edges first ball straight to Warner Wokes and Warner shells it. It was a, a tough one because it sort of moved at the last minute, but he should have caught it. And then a couple of overs later, Wokes edges another one into the slips and dropped again. And the slips are way too close together. Mark Waugh's got a point. It's ridiculous. Basically standing on top of each other. And, you know, Wokes went on to make 36. Again, a vital mistake from Australia. Um, Mark Waugh was actually trending on Twitter. And as far as I could tell, it was because people were sick of him saying the slips were too close together. There was all these people saying, <laughs> if you say the slips are too close together one more time. <laughs> he was right, though. Because Warney had been that, saying um, it for an hour as well. So the two of them. Yeah. But, I mean, that one that... It went to Steve Smith's kind of nice catching height just to his right at, at second slip. And Kawaja at third slip dives in front of him or, or sort of moves in front of him. And it, it was a it would have been an easy catch to Steve Smith, but it was still a catch that Kawaja should have caught. So they, it just does seem that they are too close together, as slips often seem to be, which is a bit perplexing. But there you go. You know, so those chances allowed England to get up to 188. And that actually looked... A long way away when they were six yep. for 110 when Wokes came out, they could have been bowled out, you know, for 120 or something and coughed up a much bigger lead. The a lead was 115, but it could have been much closer to 150. So poor fielding. Mitchell Stark, three for 53, again bowled well. Pat Cummins, four for 45. Boland, one for 33. Poor bloke, those two drop chances and Again, could have had plenty. So Shane Warne, his average has gone up, just if Warney's watching. Um, <laughs> his, his, his average hasn't gone down. Cameron Green, one for 45, a bit expensive. So what did you I think? It, I, was say, I found it a bit interesting during the Wooden Works when they were batting together, they were getting the lead down from a, uh, an impossible situation. They got it to England being, you know, in a kind of 
uh, as I said, almost impossible situation to just being strongly behind. So it was an important little partnership. Mm. They didn't seem to be running with all that urgency. Three or four times I thought, oh, I'm surprised they only got two runs there. I expected they would have got three. Um, strange that, that there's that lack of urgency. And and on my start of the day, well, I'll mention it while I'm here. It's a straight yeah. pure one from Crickviz. And it currently gives England a 20% chance of winning this match. Now, I think if you surveyed most people, they'd probably say doesn't feel like they're a 20% chance. It feels a bit lower than that. But whatever it is, it's an important um, moment. If they can come out tomorrow and have a, a fantastic day, knock Australia over and, and, to something that's chaseable and win it, 3-1 versus what could have been 5-0, uh, it's an enormous difference. Australia, one of the first series I remember, 84-85 against the West Indies, we should have lost at 5-0. We only lost at 3-1. Um, it's not nothing. So they've got... Well, um, I've been saving this up then for the whole test. I mean, this is how fucking hopeless England have been touring Australia. If they win this match, this will be their second best performance in Australia for 35 years, Paul. That's equal. that's what it comes down to. No one to be their second best after um, winning in 2010-11. They've yeah. never lost three. Oh, three, 2003, they lost 3-1 as well, didn't they? No, they or was lost 4-1. Yeah, but so I'm this saying- will be the second... Second worst, second best performance in the last 35 years um, in Australia. No, no, it'll be equal second because they in 98-99 um, they lost 3-1. Okay, um, so equal second. Equal second best five, performance. 94-5 they lost 3-1 as well. But that's the point. It's, it'll be their, their equal second worst. It's a good point. It's a, it's a mm. well-made point. Um, absolutely. And that's it's a, it's a, it's a pretty small... Uh, thing to be taking like oh three, yeah. three ones better than five nil or better than four nil, but um, you know um, it is what it is. Mm. So uh, yeah, so look, what did you think though? England coughed, you know, one hundred and fifteen run lead. Australia going out to bat, you know, it was a nervous little session, and I think England got exactly what they wanted it out of it. They did. Obviously, they would have taken three for thirty odd for sure. I just think even then, it still exemplified the difference between the two sides. That that they bowled very well in that last session, but there still were precious few balls that, to me, were right on the money on that kind of um, third, fourth stump line, just hitting the top of off stump. There were there was still too many balls that looked good that the players could leave or would get well beaten by. I think that um, if you could find a sort of an equivalent. Uh, Australia in this same situation probably would have taken five wickets rather than three. And I think that that was the key, that um, they they bowled, they almost got Scott Boland right at the end, who came in as, as a night watchman. Um, and so it was a, definitely a good session, although they were a little lucky in the sense that Warner just crushed a bad ball and um, hit it in the air, a great catch by Pope. And um, Labashain was strangled down the leg side. So, you know, a little bit of uh, good fortune there. But... Yeah, they're still in the game. That's why that that twenty percent, I'm sure, at the innings break would have been more like probably six or seven percent, I suppose. Mm. Warner, so he was a duck off three balls, so that was a pair for him. He's the only ever opener to be dismissed for two pairs in Ashes history. So I think that what he had a pair in 2019 and now a pair now. That was courtesy of Andrew Sampson, the statistician. Um, as you say, Labashain out for five, strangled down the leg side. I thought Kawaja actually looked really good for his 11 off 38. Um, and actually, 
Yeah, and I, I thought actually that that thirty eight balls he soaked up at that time was quite vital. Just shielded head and green and the rest from um, you know spending coming out there because you know it was pretty tough batting conditions. It's funny that some people will say, "Oh, yes, now you've got to open and you you know you find it a lot tougher than coming in at number five. To which I'd say, "What's an easier proposition to come out at none for none?" or three for 13, or three for 33. I'd say I'll take none for none. So the, the number five in this test match for Australia came at three for 13 and three for 33. It's, um, you know, that's pretty tough as well. Yeah, I think Mark, Marcus Harris is probably relieved he didn't have to bat in that last hour because I'm not sure how well he would have done. Um, So, yeah, Australia three for 37. Do you think the game will finish? Well, okay, well, what do you think sort of Australia needs to sort of, you know, you know, where are they sort of they're 142 ahead now, I think. Um, 152 ahead. So yeah, what do you think they need and, and and you know what do you think England can chase? Well, I'd be flippant if I say I think they need at least a hundred a lead of at least 120. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's it's hard to see England winning from here. Um, even though I, I as I often do have had a, a small wager on them at good odds, but I just can't um I'm not expecting to collect on that bet. Uh, what I think will happen is that I don't necessarily think Australia will run away with it tomorrow, but I think that, I don't know, that, that England's bowling attack is a little bit stressed and strained, that I think that at some point there'll be a partnership or two, and it doesn't take much for Australia to get to a position of relative uh, safety. So they're leading by 152, Um a chase of 200 for England would be would be very difficult. A chase of 250, um, not impossible, but it would be hard to see it happening. So that, that's where England tomorrow, um, they have to go all out, wicket-taking balls, hit the top of off stump. They can't, you know, uh, the, the last thing they want to do is they should have no fielders in sort of defensive positions. They're not going to defend their way to the win here. They've got to blow Australia away, and they won't. Mm. They'll... As soon as there's a couple of boundaries, they'll put the deep point back. They'll, um, you know, Root will come on and pull a few balls and they'll milk it for singles. And before you know it, the lead will have mounted to something that's um, um, almost unobtainable. Or will it? Who knows? Um, maybe they'll finally do what they've been threatening to do all season and, and absolutely compete and knock Australia over for another 80 and have a chase of 230. It could be an absolute grandstand finish. Yeah, the timing's not great for them because if they – even if they bowl really well and say knock Australia over in the first session tomorrow, that means they're still going to be batting under lights, chasing a, a smallish target. So, you know, it, it, look, it's going to be tough for them. Uh, the only thing is um, perhaps the wicket will just flatten out a bit, but um, the ball's doing a, a lot. And it's swinging around, seaming around. So, yeah, I, I can't see England... Uh, chasing down. I think for them to have just a small chance, they need to keep the target under 250. Uh, so, you know, if they bowl Australia out for, un, you know, under a, sort of another 100, I think they've got a sniff, even though it's a, a long shot. And it could be a three-day test. I could see Australia getting rolled tomorrow morning in England in the afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one stat that uh, Trent Copeland brought up on Channel 7 that was very fascinating was he uh, he showed the num- the the degrees of swing that England got in 10 over segments against Australia and showed how uh, in those, in the first innings, the first 10 overs was swinging around corners and then it, it dropped markedly down. And by the time of the, you know, the 40th over after the 30th over, 
it had dropped substantially. He then, after the Australian bowling performance, compared the amount of swing that the Australian bowlers got after 30 overs with what the England bowlers got after 30 overs. I can't remember the amount, but it was a substantial difference in, in favour of the Australians. And it just, it, you look at that and think, how, how could England possibly win when the Australian bowlers are bowling so much better than they were? They also showed the percentage of uh, balls that England uh, either missed or played inexpertly, like, you know, nicked. And it was like 42% versus Australia mm. it was 13% or something like that. So you look at that, the England actually doing well to be as, as in this game as they are. Absolutely. Joey Kazina, did England bowl a tad too short tonight? Felt like Smith was leaving on length, knowing the ball would go over. I think they did. It sounds funny to say that, given that they took three wickets, but I think that they bowled, they could have bowled another um, dozen balls, half a yard fuller, uh, not to the point where they could drive, but to the point where it hit the top of off stump. And I just don't know why they don't. Yeah, you're right. And, and Smith was just letting balls hit him in the last um, half an hour. So I thought Smith looked on. Uh, I think he really wants to finish this action series uh, with some runs. Good little effort by Boland as well, that he came out and, um, you know, wore a few on the hands. One of them looked quite nasty, um, mm. actually. And um, he got a couple of singles off the second last balls of overs and took the bulk of the strike and really navigated a very tough 20 minutes. He's, he can do no wrong at test level. Uh, the way he's going, he'll bring up a ton tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he will. <laughs> Warning, will be like, so his bowling, does his bowling average come down with that? Or, um, All righty. Well, um, look, I think that's about it. There was um, a question here from Ray. What's your opinion on reducing the fixtures of the BBL men as need more meaningful classes? I think that means it must be games or something. But uh, you look, I've said it before, clashes, clashes. Um, imagine, yeah. A good, yeah, look, I've said it many times. I think we're at a stage where they probably have to reduce the games a little bit. Um, but I'm not sure they will. The TV deal's got two more seasons to run and the games are paid for. it. So I, I just feel... End of the season, it's hard to, mm. yeah, it's hard to, to go back, isn't it? Yeah, and if the games are paid for, they'll play them. But one thing I will say is that so they, they do the TV deal four seasons ago. And then after two seasons, it's clear the BBL needs some life support. And then COVID comes. And a lot of their the ideas that they had around that were um, out the door, out the window. I mean, the international draft, getting more international players. Yep. You know, it was already a long time now. There was quarantine, so it just made it longer. Getting the Australian players playing more, we can't do that because they're in international bubbles. So I do have a lot of sympathy for the organisers. I think had they sort of put in a lot of those measures, maybe they could have improved the comp, but we're in a situation where they just haven't been able to. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that, I think there is a, there are things that need to be fixed with the BBL, um, but I think that the, the the biggest number one reason why this year it, it has lacked its luster has been COVID. It's not the only reason, but it's like 60%, and it would be the wrong thing to jump at shadows and make changes to things that don't need to be changed because if COVID had not been here, things would have looked different. So, I mean, today, am I right? 
did they have the Sydney Derby on today during the, the match or did I misread that? Yeah, yeah. So the Sydney Smash was on. Um, the Sixers, and it was a really good game. The Sixers made a 197. So, you know, if you're watching on TV, the first team makes 200. You're really happy. But no one was watching because they were all watching the the test. Interestingly, they got 20,000 at the ground, which is incredible. I don't know like how many people were actually there. Like sometimes those figures can be slightly inflated. But say they got 20,000, that's pretty incredible considering the test was on and Everywhere I go, no one's around because of COVID. I mean, going to the cricket's a good one because you're outside, but still. That's, and I, I'm sure that is legitimate, that crowd. Although I do recall years ago when, well, I think it was the Roosters, your your mob um, put together a crowd figure of like an embarrassing midwinter crowd of 8,300. And I think the Daily Telegraph had taken photos of every single section in the crowd and then manually counted them and said no. <laughs> There's only 3,000 there. Uh, so I'm sure that didn't happen. That's an amazing crowd. That That's mm. a, another example of the, the yeah the Big Bash. When it gets a chance, it will flourish again. And um, uh, a friend of mine, Matt, who is a big cricket fan, but a, a massive <clears throat> NRL fan, said, this is kind of like what the NRL and the AFL went through in 2020. It was just like, we have to get the season through one way or another. It's a schmozzle, but they got it across the line. They got the TV games in. They didn't break the bank. And then things moved on onwards and upwards from there. And I think that'll be the case. They do need to look at some things with the Big Bash. Um, and my interest in it this year is, is lower. I, I think one of the things is that normally it is not obscured by the international season so much that normally the final test match is the Sydney test match that's over on the 7th of January. And then it has clear air. And normally then it would get a boost off the Ashes that people are thinking, oh, you know, the Ashes has been fantastic and I've loved the cricket. I want more. Now it's the Ashes is fantastic and I love the cricket. I want more and I'm getting it tomorrow because there's more Ashes tomorrow. And I think that's, um, but again, that's not their choosing. That's because they had no choice because of COVID. And then, you know, the stars all missing and the players testing positive and the fixtures changing and uh, and everything yeah. else. Um, so it'll it'll bounce back. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a great situation, though, when you've got the Sydney smash, which should be a sort of marquee game up against an Ashes no, day-night test. It's a terrible uh, situation, so, but, what I, you know, I imagine that was the last thing they wanted to, ha- to have happen, mm, but, you know, um, they're yeah. struggling. So, so Stephen O'Keefe came back from injury, four for 18, bowls Alex Hales with his first ball of the match, bowls gets a wicket with his third or fourth ball, so he had two for none. Straight on the phone. If I was the Prime Minister, I'd be straight on the phone and say, Stuart, um, Stuart, um, Steve, Steve. your your international retirement is rescinded and you have been picked in the squad to tour Pakistan. Thank you. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah, the six is one by 60 runs. All righty. Look, that's it. It's late. I've got to go to bed. Uh, Paul, um, catch up soon. My last thing, um, Aidan, do you bring Green to Asia or give the young fella a rest? I don't think you should give him a rest. Um, I think you should pick him if you think he's worthy of being there. And I think the answer to that is yes. Uh, you don't want to bowl him into the ground, um, and I don't think they will. But, yeah, I'd definitely be picking him for Asia. And I think it'd be um, especially take him to Pakistan. might get him um, some valuable experience there because as, as important as the series against Pakistan is, the series against India later on in the year is going to be even bigger. So uh, definitely take him. I think not only do you take him, but he's vital to our plans. I mean, you need plenty of bowling options and he, he, you know, adds that great dimension. So, um, yeah, absolutely take him. All right. Well, thanks, everybody that have listened. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. See ya. 
On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.